want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis 17. I kind of said last week that, that we're going to be doing these messages in, in kind of three parts, looking at the circumstance of man. I want us to understand the story. I don't always like saying the person's name, but rather their circumstance to help you try to think about it different and not just fall into the, the Sunday school mindset of, oh yeah, I've heard this story, but to really have to encounter it afresh. Then looking at how God reveals himself in his name and how that ultimately transformed them. That's the process. Now, I have you turning to Genesis 17. The reality is I'm going to walk you through a story that starts in Genesis 12 and goes all the way through Genesis 50 into Exodus 1. So it's like 39 chapters. So yeah, like get comfortable. I'm going to try to go through this quick, but, but that's what we're looking at this morning. Because see, the, the reality is, is, is this man, when he walked this earth, it, it was a bit different than it is today. See, God had just judged the world for man's disobedience. Peoples were scattered across the earth, and you're like, okay, that's like today. But, but they didn't have contact. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have telephone. They weren't communicating. These different pockets of different languages and peoples had settled throughout the world. And there was a man. It says he was 75 years old. Now, one thing I'm going to do, because this helps me, is is then this man actually lived to be 175. So I don't want to just say his age. I want to put it into a a, a perspective of how this would be for us. See, if you kind of look at what the average lifespan of a man is today in the U.S., that would be as if this man was 36 years old. That's where he's at in life stage. He's settled. He's settled in, in his career. He's married, has a beautiful wife, no kids, living nearby with his family. His parents lived nearby. And then God spoke. A man, middle of his life, everything secure, known. And God wanted him to leave everything, leave all of that security, leave everything you know, leave the country where you're at, leave, leave your extended family, leave your father's household, leave it, all, leave it all and go to a place that I'm going to show you. Leave the security of everything you know and understand and go and step out into what you don't know and don't understand. But God gives a promise. God says, look, I'm going to make you into a, a great nation I'm going to give you a a great name through your family, through your descendants. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So this man in faith, he's like, okay. He leaves. He steps out into the unknown, trusting in what God has said. And the problems kind of start right away. Things don't go exactly as he would think. Like the journey, at a minimum, would take over a month. 400 miles, traveling on foot with all his flock, his family, his wife, and his nephew went with him. 400 miles. This would have taken, at a minimum, a month if they walked every day the maximum amount they could. Probably took longer than that. Then they get there, and there's kind of two immediate problems. One is God's like, okay, here it is. Here's the land I'm going to show you, but somebody else is living there. It's like a realtor taking you to a house and saying, here's your house. You're like, but there's kids playing out front. Like, it looks like somebody's living here. Yeah, 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 they, they are. Like, is the house for sale? No. But, but, but this is going to be yours. Like, okay, and there's a famine. Go to the grocery store. There's no food. The flop. 
that you just walked 400 miles to get to, there's no food. So you're like, great. I followed God. I listened. Great name. Great nation. Here, here's the land that I was going to show you. And they're like, I'm not too impressed. They keep traveling south. And then family problems. See, the man kind of married up several levels. Like, his wife was beautiful, and he was kind of average. So he's a little insecure, a little like, oh, no, we're, go- we're going to this new place trying to find food, and-, and people might see me and be like, wow, like she's a much higher class than, than you are and want to off him. So he comes up with this great plan. He goes, let me protect myself and put you at risk. And so he's like, why don't you just tell people you're my sister? That way they won't kill me. So he protects himself. His wife, though, does draw the eye of the local leader who was like, you're beautiful. I want you to marry me. So he does. There's, here comes the bride, honeymoon. She's living with him. Meanwhile, this man who's following God but not trusting him at this moment is getting rich off his wife being married to another man. Now, this other man, God brings sickness on his household. He's like, what's happening? Abraham's like, well, actually, she's not my sister. That, that's my, my wife. Really? You didn't think to tell me this? Like, you should have probably said something. So now, they're traveling back up north. He's like, leave, get out of here. So now the man, his wife, are traveling north. Going to the place and the promises that God has for them. But here's the thing, like no doubt, I'm kind of imagining like that conversation that you're having with your wife as you walk. <laughs> you can kind of imagine how they went. But that's not the only family problems they have. Now there's conflict between him and his nephew because they've collected so much stuff while they were there. It's like there's not enough land for all the animals to graze on. So now the herdsmen of both of these, of his nephew and of this man, are fighting with one another. And this is leading to conflict between the man and his nephew. So now you have family relationships and fighting that's happening. And it's like they go different ways. But of course, then the nephew gets himself in trouble and he has to go rescue them. You can kind of see how this is going, right? Not exactly as you would anticipate, like, let me follow God, step out in obedience, in faith, walk in the promises that he has. But it's here that God reveals something about himself. And we're actually going to see three names of God this morning. We're going to be focusing on one of them, but in Genesis 15, we see the first one revealed. It says, after all these events, after all of that just happened that I just explained, God says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I haven't given up on you. Yes, your obedience has been very imperfect. But do not be afraid. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Adonai Megan. That's the, the name of God. I am your shield. Adonai Megan. The prophet Isaiah would use this name of God like a mother bird hovering with her wings over the young in the nest. 
Later, we're going to see how Jesus uses these very words to describe his love for the people in the city of Jerusalem. There's a maternal aspect here of a mom who is standing in front of the kids. Danger is out there, and the kids are behind. And it's like, and I am your shield. I'm going to protect you. I, I, I know that there's difficulties ahead. I know obedience isn't always easy, but I am your shield. Ten years have gone by. In today's time frame, that 36-year-old would now be in his late 40s. He listened to God, leaving all the sources of security. Constant travel, famine, another man marrying his wife, family fighting, more promises from God. Thank you, God. You're my shield. I appreciate that. But then Abraham says, what's the point? If I don't have any kids, you can say whatever you want, but how am I going to be a great nation? How are my descendants going to be like the stars in the sky? I don't have a single child, God. I hear what you're saying, but my reality looks different. And there's doubt, and there's frustration. How are all these things going to come about? And God reaffirms his promises. He's like, look, listen. He makes a covenant with Abraham. This contract, this promise, it's normally this agreement between two people saying, here's what we each agree to. And and if I don't carry my end of the agreement, here's the consequence. And if you don't carry your end of the, the agreement, here's the consequence. And so God instructed Abraham. He's like, here's what I want you to do. There's all these animals. And he's like, and I want you to cut them in half. This is a brutal image. I want you to consider in your mind. That I don't think many of us have ever done anything like this. Cut the animal in half. The ground soaked in blood. Flies, vultures up above that that Abraham is trying to shoo away. And there's all these animals laid out in the ground. If you can just imagine this center aisle, which happens to be red. I didn't think about this. Like, here... And it says that the sun was setting. And Abraham starts to fall asleep. And it says, and a great terror and darkness descended on him. There's a reality and a weightiness here. And when it was dark, Abraham saw a smoking pot and a flaming torch passing between the divided animals. As God sealed his promise with Abraham. Now, here's the thing that's unique about what God is doing here. This isn't Abraham and God. This, isn't, this is God saying, look, I am securing my promise. If I do not fulfill my promise, may what happened to these animals happen to me. He's saying, I'm giving you my word. This is the promise. This is the covenant that I'm making with you. Now, I have to imagine this was an incredibly emotional experience. When it's saying deep darkness fell on him, right? Like like you've just seen this smoking torch come through here. You've just watched all of this unfold. So, So how would you respond? 
Abraham's response? He sleeps with someone, not his wife, and gets her pregnant. It's what happened. And it wasn't necessarily his idea. It was his wife's idea. Like, well, obviously God made this promise, but he doesn't have the power to make it come about. So we need to help God out here. Right? Like, like l- l- let's give him assistance. And, and so his wife's like, I have this lady who's working for me. Why don't you sleep with her? She'll get pregnant, and then we can have that baby, and, the, and then we'll fulfill God's promises on our own. That sounds like a great idea. And Abraham's like, yeah, let's do it. And so that's what he does. After God makes this covenant with them, this is how he responds. And his wife already abused her authority with this woman. And then she gets pregnant, and the abuse continues. She's resented, hated, rejected for doing exactly what she was told to do. And in complete brokenness, she runs and hides. Just hides. Like, have you ever been there? Like, when you just kind of go into your room and you shut the door and you hope nobody can see you because you're just weeping, you're just broken. And, and she's there and she's crying. And, and here's what the text says, that God searched for her. He, he sought after her. She was running away. This isn't... This wasn't what God wanted. It's what he allowed to happen. And in her pain, God sees her pain, heard her cries. And she says, in my experience, she calls God El Roy. It means the God. That El comes from the the word Elohim, which we see in the beginning of Scripture. It's kind of a general word of God as creator, sustainer, the eternal one. But there's something deeply personal. It's not just the God who sees. It's the God who sees me. In her brokenness, in the lostness, in the running, in the tears, in the pain, he's like, God sees me. Me. The broken me. The sad me. The angry me. God sees. He searches. He finds. He loves me. Thirteen more years pass. Abraham, using illegitimate means, trying to achieve the will of God for himself. Now that child is a teenager. Thirteen more years go by. And they still have not had a child of their own that was promised. Consider this. That's over 24 years. In today's lifespan, that would be someone who started this journey at 36 and are now about in their mid-60s. They're over 60 years old and the time that has passed. It kind of alludes that his wife has gone through menopause. 
Think about that. Each month, the monthly cycle, another reminder of God's unfulfilled promises until the hot flashes begin and any hope or reality of those promises coming to pass are gone. And she, she kind of blames God, saying, he, he's prevented me from having children. He could have fulfilled his promises. He could have, but he didn't. That was his doing. And yes, promises were spoken, but reality seems to speak louder, drowning out any thoughts and any hope. There is no child nor could there ever be. I imagine the moments, the nights of tears and weeping and pleading. 24 years is a long time to wait. To hold out hope. And at some point along the way, it became easier to stop hoping. To bury the hope because it hurt too much. Before we continue, can you relate to this in any way? Not necessarily the story of the circumstances. Like, oh, childlessness, maybe that is your journey, and that's been part of it, and there's grief and there's sorrow there. And you resonate very clearly with that aspect of the story. But for many, the circumstances look different, but the feelings are the same. God has spoken, and you've tried to follow. You've tried to walk by faith. You've stepped out in ways that you never imagined, and yet you also realize your faith has been imperfect. You've made mistakes along the way. Maybe, like Abraham, you've even used illegitimate means to try to earn or achieve God's favor. And now maybe there's fear and there's doubt. Maybe your mistakes have caused God to not fulfill his promises. Maybe this is my judgment now for the mistakes I've made along the way. Will God be faithful to me when I've been so faithless? When I've made mistakes? And the longer the time passes, the more those doubts grow. And the reality of today begins to overshadow your hope for tomorrow. Do you feel it? Like, have you ever been there? Do you feel like God's simply taking too long to need a need or, or fulfill a promise in your life. Too long to find a spouse. Too long to, to fix a marriage. Too long to, to give you kids. Too long to, to draw their hearts back to Him. Too long to solidify that career. Too long for the things that you've been praying for. How can you be faithful in the waiting? It's here. It's here in this moment that I want us to feel the weight of who God is and who he declares himself to be. Genesis 17 verse 1, when Abraham was 99 years old. 
again, to help me, because 99, I'm like, that's my grandmother's 99. Like, right now, like, that's really old. But Abraham lived to be 175. Today, that would be like someone being about 65. The Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. For the first time in recorded history, God has says, I am El Shaddai. That's the name. I am God, El from Elohim Shaddai, which we're going to talk about. I am God Almighty. See, see, you've exhausted every possible means. You've tried every possible way on your own to achieve what I have promised. But I am telling you who I am. He was like, I want you to, to live in my presence. I want you to live in the reality of who I am. And I'm telling you who I am. I am God Almighty. What seems impossible with you, what you've exhausted in all your human resources and means, what, what in your human mind seems absolutely improbable, impossible to become a reality, I'm telling you who I am. I am El Shaddai. To understand this name and what it means. The root of the word here is shod. In Hebrew, that can mean mountain or breast. This is a maternal strength and might of God. Sometimes we think of might and we think of the strongest, largest man. Like, like we think of Mount Everest, that stony mountain standing tall. And that is might and that is power. And yes, it is. But I think what God is referring to here is a, a maternal strength in might. It's one that, that the prophet Isaiah uses in Isaiah 66, verses 10 and 11. This word shod, when we see, be glad for Jerusalem and rejoice over her. All who love her, rejoice greatly with her. All who mourn over her, so that you may nurse and be satisfied from her comforting breast. Shod. Drink deeply and delight yourself from her glorious breast. I never thought I would read that verse in a church. <laughs> we live in a, in a hypersexualized culture that makes that uncomfortable. But it's a poetic image, an image that I'm reminded of even as my daughter prepares to give birth to their own daughter, maybe this week. God designed women with a unique and powerful ability to be the sole source of comfort joy, nourishment, and satisfaction for a newborn child that is completely dependent on the mother. When the pangs of hunger strike, that there would be satisfaction. When the child needs that the nutrients of a life, God has provided for that in the mother in a way that even changes throughout the first week to uniquely be nutrients for that child. To be comfort when they have gas in their stomach and it hurts and they can't sleep. 
to be safety and delight when fear creeps along at night. This is the imagery that God is using to help us understand what he means by El Shaddai. I am the God Almighty. For me, it's a memory that when I was young, I had asthma extremely bad. And, and at night, I wouldn't be able to breathe. And, and, or then there was other times as I got older and I would be sick and I'd have a fever. There was this rocking chair out in the living room and my mom would sit me on her lap when I was little, and, and it squeaked, like every time it went back. And there was safety there. There was comfort there. This is the, the image that God is saying, I am God Almighty. Tony Evans says this, at the core of this concept of El Shaddai, it's not only, I, I want us to hear this, it is not only God's ability to deliver you, but also God's ability to nourish you until he delivers you. God Almighty, this, the creator and sustainer, it's not just that he can because he does have the might, the power to do what is in our minds impossible, but he also has the power to comfort and to strengthen you as you wait for that deliverance. That's who God is, that in your brokenness, El Shaddai is your comfort. In your waiting, in the pain of awaiting, El Shaddai is your strength. Look, in your sorrow, El Shaddai is your satisfaction in your deliverance. El Shaddai is, is your delight. This is who he is. And this is what, what God is saying. This is who I am. And this changes Abraham. And not just him, but for the generations that come after him. Abraham's life, it says, it continues in verses 3-5. through five. Then Abraham fell face down. And God continued to speak to him. What else could Abraham do? What excuses could he give of, of broken obedience? He sees his faith. He sees his failures. And he's like, here I am. He falls on his face before El Shaddai. And God continues. As for me, look, I know what you've done, but I'm telling you, as for me, here's my covenant with you. Here's what I've promised you. You will become the father of many nations. Not by your own means, not by your own power, but what God is saying is because of who I am, your reality is about to change. Because of who I am, your faults and failures are not the end. Because of who I am, let me tell you who you are. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. Not you. Do you see what God's doing? He's like, because of who I am, let me tell you who you are. It wasn't Abraham's faith that defined him. It wasn't his failures that defined him. It wasn't all the mistakes. It wasn't all the waiting 
It was who God revealed himself to be in El Shaddai. Because of who I am, let me tell you who you are. And he changed his name. And I believe this radically transformed Abraham's life. I believe it became part of the story that he told his kids and his grandkids. And I can tell you why. Because in a few chapters later, we see that God fulfilled his promise. What seemed impossible, what seemed beyond human reason, what seemed like there's no possible way for this to happen, God gave them a son. And his name was Isaac. And and, and here's the interesting thing that it says in, in Genesis 21, at the appointed time. Just four little words. It's not like Abraham's disobedience delayed God, like, oh, God had a plan, but Abraham somehow messed it up. No, this was God's plan all along. At the appointed time, this is how God intended it to be. Was it long? Yes. Was there waiting? Yes. Was God at work in those 24 years? Absolutely. Because it wasn't just in the deliverance. It was that they would know his strength and might and power even in the waiting. And I believe that Abraham talked to his son about this often. Let me tell you about how you were born. This is how I imagine it in my mind's eye. It is not in the text. (laughs) Your mom and I, we thought it was impossible. But God showed himself to be El Shaddai. God Almighty. And you were born when it didn't seem like a way. I say that because Isaac, Abraham's son, would go on to tell Abraham's grandkids to bless them. In in Genesis 28, the son says to Abraham's grandson, he blesses him using the name Abraham. El Shaddai. May El Shaddai bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become an assembly of peoples. Who God is and what he spoke over Abraham got spoken over Isaac and then that was spoken over Jacob. So now a man who had no family but trusted in the promises of God, waited imperfectly, saw God move in mighty ways, now has a son and a grandson who are carrying on in that name, resting in the presence of El Shaddai. And then God would also appear to to Jacob, Abraham's grandson, and say, I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation indeed as an assembly of nations will come from you and kings will descend from you. I will give you the land that I gave to your grandfather and to your father and I will give that land to your future descendants. And then we see that same name, El Shaddai, show up for Abraham's great-grandkids. When Jacob then uses the same name of God, to ask for the safety of his own sons. And then in Exodus 1, Joseph and all his brothers, the great-grandkids of Abraham and all the generation, they passed away. But the Israelites, the people that came from them were fruitful and increased increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. 
In other words, God's promises were fulfilled. Not by Abraham, but by El Shaddai. Here's what I want to ask you this morning. Are you experiencing pain in the waiting? Do you find yourself in that space between walking by faith, having made some mistakes, and not yet receiving what you're asking for? And there's pain in this moment, and you're wondering how long you can hold out hope? How long can you continue? The invitation this morning is to look to El Shaddai, remembering his past faithfulness, that in the longing for God to answer your prayers, to realize that your hope in God is not only for the deliverance, but for the ability to wait in his presence, to believe in who God says himself to be, that he is Adonai, Megan. He is your shield. He is El Roy, the God who sees you. He is El Shaddai, the God Almighty. And he is sufficient in our waiting. Are you experiencing doubts as the wait gets longer? That he is good. He does have an appointed time and an appointed will. And we do not know what that is. But will we rest in him? That is our call, our invitation this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are one, the, the one true eternal God who is majestic and all-powerful. And that you would draw near and see us in our pain, speak and be present in our sorrow. Lord, to not only deliver us, but to sit with us, to mourn with us, to sustain us and comfort us in the waiting, in the uncertainty. Lord, help us to not only look at our failures or our faith, but to look to you and your promises and the declaration of who you are. And let the reality of who you are deepen our faith and trust in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, to at the end of each of the benches, you'll see in a basket the communion elements. This is something that Jesus commanded we do whenever we gather together, that we do this in remembrance of him. It is a proclamation to our hearts and to those who are here who may not, who are maybe in a place where you have not yet believed. And I would encourage you in this moment, if you have not yet trusted in Jesus, to observe this aspect of this morning's service, not participating, but observing and praying. 
But this is an, an act of obedience for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And I want us to hear these words in Matthew 23, when in that final week, as before Jesus was crucified, and he's approaching the city of Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. And he weeps. Like, do you remember in the prophet Isaiah when, it, when it's using that name Adonai Megan? That God is your shield. What, what the prophet Isaiah would say is the, the mother bird stretching out her arms in protection. And this is what Jesus is saying as he looks over a city of broken and lost people. It's who he is in the reality and embodiment of El Shaddai. That he is our comfort. He is our satisfaction. He is our shield and our protector. He is the one who sees you. And this is what we remember when we take the Lord's Supper this morning. That in the face of sin and the judgment of God against our sin, it was Jesus who stood in the path, who stretched out his arms, taking the, the punishment of our sin upon himself so that we would be safe, so that we would be healed by his wounds, by his wounds, by his broken body. We are healed. We are safe. He is our El Shaddai. And this is what we remember.